are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak to you as God leads me in the hour on the grace of God, the marvel of the grace of God. I marvel at it. My commission, my whole life is given over to telling the story over and over again of the grace of God. Unthinkable, indescribable, untellable is the grace of God. And yet I, I take a stab at it every time I stand at the pulpit to preach. I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Often I've been tempted to go off uh, on a line of thought, probably tarry too long, and I say to myself, I must get back to Calvary. I dare not uh, go off on any kind of a tangent or any kind of a pet theme. I must hasten back to the cross. And I think you'd be wise to do the same thing. The grace of God, the theme of all of we in this building. And I'm aware of the fact that my tongue is not adequate. My ability is not sufficient. My adjectives could not describe the grace of God like I'd love to tell it. But I shall try again by the grace of God. To tell the grace of God is like trying to hug a mountain. You never get it done. To tell the grace of God is like trying to describe the loveliness of a sunset to a blind man. You never get that achieved, never get that done. And yet preachers stand and over and over again repeat and attempt to do the impossible and repeat in telling the story of God's amazing grace. Songwriters do the same thing. Uh, years ago I was preaching at Highland Park with Dr. Lee Robinson in a conference and I went out of the prophet's chamber to get a noonday meal and upon returning to the prophet's chamber I heard music from the inside. Side, and I wondered who was in the uh, prophet's room. I thought I had the only key. But I stepped inside the kitchen part of the prophet's chamber and I looked inside the other room. And there at the piano sat Dr. Charles Wigo. He's now with the Lord, a gracious man, a good man, famous songwriter. And I, I suppose that he was picking out the melody of a new song. And I dare not disturb him at his task. So I slipped back into the kitchen and sat down. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And after a while I thought that his task was finished for the moment. I got up and walked into the room and greeted Dr. Wango. I'd known him. He'd been at Tabernacle. I said, sir, good to see you. What are you doing? And that dear old man, 90 years old at that particular time, died a few years later at the age of 95. But at that time, an aged man with a sparkle in his eye and a spring in his step looked at me and said, I'm writing a new song. And I didn't say to him, but I thought to myself, if I could have written, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, I believe I would have retired and never written another and wrote more than 200 great gospel hymns. And there he is, doing what I'm trying to do now, attempt to tell the grace of God. And I said, Dr. Wigo, what's the title of your new song? And he said, Oh, what glory. What about that? Oh, what glory. Some Baptists don't know much about that, you know. But he said, Oh, what glory. And I said, I'm anxious to hear that. He said, I plan to sing it tomorrow morning in the morning service at 10 o'clock in the great auditorium at Holland Park. I said, sir, I'll be there. I want to hear it. And I was there the next morning when he sang publicly for the first time. Oh, what glory. When I look into his wonderful face, how God blessed that song and people rejoiced. 
And Baptist preachers stood and shouted the praises of God, and I marveled at it, and I loved the song until this day. Now, that's an attempt on the part of the songwriter to tell the grace of God. He felt, as I feel, that we've never been able to successfully uh, do the task and to tell the story like uh, it ought to be told. I've seen the majestic sunset. But nothing is more wonderful than a vision of the grace of God. Uh, the, I've seen the gratitude of young mothers as they rock their, their newborn babes uh, with pride. I've seen the ceaseless waves casting up the mire of the, of the ocean. I've seen the beautiful valleys in their abundance of productivity. I've seen the lofty mountains as they reach up uh, their mountain peaks toward the sky, giving praise to God. I've seen the mighty eagle soar through the air in majestic glory. I've seen the masterpieces of Michelangelo and other great artists of renown. I've seen the uh, mighty giant 747 lift fully loaded off an airport runway and stand amazed. I've seen the beautiful lily open its white face toward the morning sun in all of its glory. I've seen the vast fields of the harvest of the corn crop and the wheat crop in the great fields across our land. I've seen the lightning flash across the mighty thunder roar. I've seen the mighty Mississippi bore its way all the way through the continent of our great and beloved land. I've seen the growth and maturity of little ones, children, in our family circle, in our church circle. I've seen the enslaved sinner lifted from the miry clay and a song put upon his lip. I've seen the power of the gospel with all of its miracle working ability to transform a sinner. I've seen the prosperity of the church triumphant in your day and in mine. I've seen the perseverance of in battle pilgrims as we wade through one battle after another and then spring into the fight all over again. I've seen the need of God's people met. I've seen the bereaved saint of God comforted in the grace of God and the love of God. I've seen the shaft of sunlight break through uh, the stormy clouds and bring hope of a better day. I've seen little churches revived by the touch of God's great and mighty hand. I've seen the touch of the mighty hand of God upon a defeated saint of God, and he sprang into the thick of the battle all over again. I've seen the blessing of God upon the tithe of both the individual and the congregation. I've seen the seed of God's word bring forth fruit unto new birth. But the greatest thing I've ever seen is a marvel of grace working in your life and in my life and in the lives of sinners. Grace unthinkable, grace untellable, grace amazing. The songwriter hit the word correctly when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace. Now let me read to you a bit from Second Samuel chapter number 9. And I read in verse 1, and David said, Is there yet any left of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God in him for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Zeba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said, Art thou Zeba? And he answered, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not any left of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Zeba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son who is lame upon his feet, though a prince, yet a cripple, though the son of a king, yet in need of the grace of God. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Zeba answered the king, Behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Abiel, in the land of Lodibar, the land of no bread, the land of wont and the land of spiritual poverty. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Micah, the son of Emiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, and I wouldn't guarantee the pronunciation of that name, that these Hebrew, Hebrew names sometimes cause a 
supposed to stumble, uh, but I think I have the correct pronunciation. Now, when Mephibosheth, by the way, I was preaching down in Macon at McConnell Baptist Church in a mission conference uh, a good number of years ago, and I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and in my text I was going to come across the word Genesaret, and I had a premonition when I got to that name I was not going to be able to say that. And sure enough, when I got down to the verse where the word Genesaret is found, I, I was dead. I, uh, my life had depended upon it. I could not then have said Genesaret. I was embarrassed. And I said to the pastor behind me, say it for me. He said, Genesaret. And I went on to read and preach my sermon. But while I was reading and while I was preaching, I said to myself, Luke, why could you not just as well said Galilee instead of Genesaret? And so the name of Fellow said, I think you have the correct pronunciation. Now, when Mephibosheth, the lame prince, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, in the Bible there are no grandsons. You're the son of Saul and the son of your father and the son of your grandfather. Was calling to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I'm going to restore to thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. There's eternal life, everlasting life that we Baptists believe in. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? What a testimony. A few years ago I preached on the seven most classic statements I find in the Bible. And among those seven statements was the statement of Ruth in chapter 1 of Ruth, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor from following after thee. Where thou lodgest, I shall lodge. Where thou livest, I shall live. Where thou diest, I want to die. Where thou art buried, I want to be buried also. Entreat me not to leave thee, nor from following after thee. I think that's classic. And then I brought a message to my people in that series on the testimony of Esther when she said, If I perish, I perish. What a tremendous testimony. Then another uh, in that sermon, uh, the testimony of young David, Is there not a call? Oh, I'd love to preach on that if I had the time in this meeting. Is there not a cause? And then among the seven is this verse number nine, number eight. What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king said, Zeba, to, uh, to Saul's servant Zeba, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all of his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruit, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth shall eat bread always at my table. There is eternal life again. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, All that my lord the king hath commanded his servant to do, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So there's the story. I want to say four things about the grace of God to you in this hour. Number one, grace is God-loving, unlovely sinners. Number two, grace is God giving Jesus to die upon the cross for ungodly sinners. Number three, grace is God lifting out that which cannot lift out itself. And number four, grace illustrated by the story that I read from Second Samuel chapter number nine. Number one, grace is God loving the unlovely. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. For God so loved the world of sinners that he gave his only begotten Son. Oh, love of God that wins my soul and will not let me go. Grace is God loving unlovely sinners. Now I 
be able to understand how God could love some people. There are good people in this building, good, relatively speaking. You're honest, you're moral, you're upright. I marvel at you. Thank God for you. I may be able to understand how God could love a good, clean young man, a dedicated, clean, nice uh, young woman. I could fathom that. I think I can understand how God could love a good, honest, hardworking man that loves his family, loves God, loves his church, you see. I might fathom that. But when I know that the grace of God is infinitely greater than that, when I recognize that the bum and the destitute, the reprobate, the drunkard, the harlot, the doper, the prostitute, all are included in the scope of God's love that I stand off to be amazed. There is not one person in all the city of Charlotte for whom Christ did not die. There is not one sinner in your city that Jesus does not love and would not welcome with outstretched arms to come and receive the gift of eternal and everlasting life. For God so loved the world of sinners that he gave. Grace is God loving not good people, but bad people. And to tell you the truth about it, we're all bad people. I've never gotten to the place that I thought that I was good. I certainly don't deserve any such recognition. I'm not good except in the grace of God. I'm so glad there was sin abounds. Grace doth much more abound. And I can say with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. Grace is God-loving, unlovely sinners. A few months ago, a few years ago down, I received a letter from a woman in Greensboro, North Carolina. And the letter started and read something like this. I'm 55 years old. I, I'm, uh, I've am i been married three times and divorced. I've had six children, three of them died in infancy because of a social disease in my body. Uh, she said, I'm a drunkard. I'm a doper. She said, I'm the most vile, dirty woman in all the city of Greensboro, North Carolina. And she said, I hesitated to write to you. I didn't want you to handle the paper that I had to handle to write this letter to you. I'm so dirty, so vile, so ungodly. But she said, I've been hearing you preach on the radio. And I want to know if God would save a sinner like me. And I stopped everything and sat down at my typewriter with tears in my eyes. And I wrote her back and I said, there's a bomb in Gilead. There's a sympathizing Savior. I said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I put all those good promises in a letter and sent them back to that woman in Greensboro. And you know, she got converted. I mean saved. I mean born again. <laughs> the good old-fashioned kind of being born again. Right, you got born again. And wrote me and gave me a testimony of a grace and a faith. And let me give you a climax that God miraculously gave to me, uh, to that story. A few months later, six months maybe, I was in Greensboro in a meeting. The pastor said he'd meet me at the cafeteria at 12 noon on Saturday. We'll have fellowship together. We'll have dinner together. I met him at 12 noon at the cafeteria on Saturday, downtown in Greensboro. We went through the line. And going through the line, I told the pastor about the woman who'd gotten converted there in Greensboro with the idea maybe he could baptize her, I thought. And I told the story just as I told it to you, except maybe in more detail, and while we were getting our food together. And there, when we finished the story, when I finished the story, I discovered that I couldn't remember the woman's name.
Of course, you don't have that problem, but you're not quite as old as I am. One day, you'll have that problem as I have it. And I could not at that moment think of the woman's name. I should have remembered it, but I couldn't think of it to save my life. And I apologized to my pastor friend and said, when I get home, I'll check the files. I'll send it to you through the mail, and you can visit the woman. Maybe you can baptize her. I'd like to have done that. I sure would love to have done that. But maybe you can baptize her. And we sat down just about ready to grace our food and enjoy our fellowship and food. And a young girl about 10 years from my old, whom I'd never seen before or since, in fact, walked up to me and handed me an envelope. And she said, does this envelope belong to you? And I looked on the outside and it said, the bride spot hour, post office box four in Greenville, South Carolina. I said, yes, ma'am, that belongs to the radio. Where'd you get this? And she said, my mother saw you come into the cafeteria and she thinks you're the preacher she's been hearing over the radio. And she said, if he's the preacher, just give him the letter and we'll not have to mail it. And I thanked that little girl as she turned and walked away. And I was about to slip the letter in my pocket and I looked on the back of it. Automatically, I guess, and believe it or not, there was that woman's name. I couldn't think of it a moment ago. There's the woman's name. And I said, Pastor, here's a miracle. A woman who I've never met, never seen, had written to. I said, here she is, three tables away from it. And I left my pastor, left my food, and I went over and sat down with that woman. Vile, wretched, so describes herself to me in the letter. And she began to talk about how good it was to be saved. And great big tears began to run down her cheeks, you know. And her lips quivered and she then cried and rejoiced that the, the only people in the world that can cry and laugh at the same time are saved people. And she said, they're weeping for joy. And I got happy on the other side of the table. I sat there and laughed in the spirit. I was just having your time. One side of the table laughing, the other side weeping. I don't know what people thought, but we had us a camp meeting. Rejoicing over what grace did to that wretched woman. Now, grace can do that. Grace can do that. Two years after that, God gave another climax to that story. I preached one Sunday morning to the tabernacle, and a lady came forward and said, Do you know me? After the service was over, do you know me? I said, Ma'am, I should, but I'm sorry. I couldn't call your name. I'm sorry. Then she said, Do you remember the lady in Greensboro? And then in a moment, it all came back to me. She was then uh, several years older, of course, gray and wrinkled and a bit feeble. And she said, I drove the 200 miles today to tell you that it's still good. And we had another shouting spell right there in the church. Amen. Grace is God loving, unlovely son. Grace can save the wretched, the vilest of the vile. There's none beyond the scope of God's grace. Twenty-five, twenty, help yourself, young fellow. Maybe you'll just have us a shouting time here today. I'd rather have a shout than to have clout. Amen. I had a baptized woman at Tabernacle. Somebody came to me and said, Preacher, do you know who you baptized? And I said, I think so. Oh, you don't understand. They said, you've just baptized one of the most popular harlots Greenville ever had. I said, glory to God. Hallelujah. Twenty-five years ago, I baptized that hollered woman. Her, her beauty was then faded. Now she's old and feeble and can hardly walk. But she comes to church when she's able, and she goes right back to the choir where she's been singing for 25 years. And nobody in the church knows who that woman is but me. I've never told my wife. She's heard me tell that story, but I wouldn't tell her name to anybody in that church, including my wife. And she sits there in the choir and sings, Oh, how I love Jesus. And when I see her, I say, Lord, save a hundred harlots in Greenville. Throw them in the choir. Grace is God loving, unlovely sinner. Grace. 
but nor is grace God living, but grace is God giving. Grace is God giving. Here is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave. He gave His only begotten Son. I'm glad for that. Without Calvary, our Bible is void, empty, and meaningless. Without the cross, my faith is nothing. Without the cross, I have no foundation. Without the cross, I have no hope. But I'm glad that there was a dispensation, Paul speaks of, that he called the dispensation of the grace of God, at which time the Christ of glory, God's holy, eternal, ever-born Son of God, laid aside the glory that he had with God the Father and came down into this earth and died a vicarious death upon an old rugged cross to lift me out of my sin and lift you out of your sin. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.